Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. That right now, an environment where change is, it's going to happen regardless. And everything is so different. Uh, Christmas this year looked different. Thanksgiving this year looked different. Halloween in my neighborhood looked different, right? Just all these different things are completely different. And things are already different. The great news is we're already having a change. Might as well get on board with what the Holy Spirit may be doing and say, let's just do it. Because if it's going to be different anyway, right? So I just wanted to preface the beginning of that uh, with, with that. Now, let's get into Luke. I want to read this scripture, and I'm going to start with. I'm going to start with the um, verse 18 of Luke 7. So, if you have a chance, would you flip over to Luke uh, chapter 7, verse 18? And um, James, would you do me a favor? Could you grab me a water from the back? I drank too much coffee, and now it's my mouth's getting dry. Uh yeah, thanks. So that's where I miss Willie. Willie always has my bottle of water up here for me. I never ask him to do that. But uh, what's that? Oh. <laughs> Willie supplies the entire worship team with water, and so when he's not here, we don't know what to do. Oh, thanks. Sorry about that. That'll be really good on the podcast. They'll love that version of it. All right, so Luke 7. We're going to be in chapter 18. Luke 7, 18. Then John's disciples told him about all these things. So all these things being what? What had just happened? Well, Jesus had just raised a widow's son from death back to life. He's just seen a Roman centurion share faith that healed family member, right? His little girl. So these have just happened. And so... John's disciples told him about all these things. And so John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord, asking, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? That is a strange question I always thought from from Jesus' first cousin, right? That's a weird question. I always thought, but he sends the message anyway. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And when the men reached him, They said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people. He replied to them in evil spirits. He granted sight to many blind people. And he replied to them, go report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. After John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in, are in royal palaces What did you expect to go out and see? A prophet? Yes. 
I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Verse 29. And when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. So, so before we jump to the part that I was really been sitting in for a while, I think it's interesting, that little parenthetical phrase. You see verse 29 and 30, you, know, you get this story that Luke is writing. And then in parentheses, he just kind of gives us a little, a little footnote, a little insight into what was going on. And all the people, including the tax collectors, right? So all these people who were on the outside of the religious, the religious community, and some who were even ostracized by the religious community, being those tax collectors, heard this, heard what Jesus was saying, acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. Now, what was John's baptism, right? Like That's something we got to get to. we got to be honest about because John's baptism was not a baptism of, I want to make you feel good, so I'm going to do this little baptism. It was very much a way of you are living life wrong. You're living life in sin. And you need to turn. At this point, there was not, outside of the yearly Passover sacrifice, there was no forgiveness of sins on a daily basis. And so this wasn't an easy message. This was a message of you are living life wrong. It was a message of repentance, right? What did it tell us earlier in Luke? And we also read it in uh, the very first chapter of Mark. And we read it in Matthew. And we also read it in John. What, what was John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, what was his message? It was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Stop doing what you're doing that's incorrect. Repent, turn from that, and go into God's way of righteousness. And it says these people realize the way of God's righteousness, which is that easy or hard? It's hard especially in their time, right? Jesus had not yet died for sin. In fact, it wasn't really known by the majority of people that Jesus was the Messiah yet. So John's way of righteousness was tough. But it says these people who were on the outside looking in as far as the religious community went, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness. It says because they've been baptized with John's baptism. So at some point... We would now say the Holy Spirit drove them to this place to say whatever John is saying, even though it's hard, is true. But then we get to verse 30. But since the Pharisees and experts of the law had not been baptized, man of God for themselves. It's a very indicting sentence that Luke includes there. that They rejected God's plan for themselves, that the, the, 
the deduction being God had a plan for them, like he did up the tax collectors and those on the outside, and that was to acknowledge God's way of righteousness and follow it, and they rejected it. So then we see Jesus continuing to speak after this little parenthetical phrase, to what then should I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. But the Son of Man has come eating and drinking And you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. I was going to stop there. I'm going to read this this last story here in Luke 37. So we'll just finish it out. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered a Pharisee's house and reclined at the table And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, and so she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus replied to him, that, that is so weird, right? This man's thinking something in his head, and Jesus just replies to him. Jesus replies to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He says, say it, teacher. A creditor has two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You've judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loves so much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There is this. It's interesting that Jesus begins this story here. He starts this story um, saying, John didn't do any of the stuff that I'm doing, right? John didn't come eating. He didn't come drinking. He was out in the wilderness. 
And you say he has a demon, right? They thought he was crazy. He was deranged. He was demented. He's living out in the desert. He's wearing, you know, we, we know from other places in Scripture where he was wearing, like, you know, burlap or, you know, animal's hair as, as, his, uh, as his clothes. And he was eating whatever he could find. And it was talking about him eating wild locusts and honey. Uh, which, I mean, honestly, if you had honey, it's just about anything. It's pretty good. But here's this guy eating this, right? And you're calling him crazy, deranged. You're saying he has a demon. He didn't come eating and drinking. But yet what you're wanting to accuse me of is being a drunkard and glutton because I did come eating and I did come drinking. And, and what he's really getting to the heart of with, with the, these religious leaders is you're basically kind of creating your own pathway to God. You're not really following God's pathway. You want to create your own. When it fits your narrative right, you're doing it, right? So if it doesn't fit your narrative, John saying repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, and you don't want to do that because you, you don't like that message, well, then you just make some stuff up about him. Oh, well, he must have a demon. Uh, look how crazy he is. He doesn't even eat. He doesn't drink. He's out in the wilderness. He's going crazy. Well, here I am. I'm the exact opposite of my, my cousin John. I come in. I come eating. I come drinking, all those things you're saying he's crazy for, I'm doing. And yet you don't like my message either, and so you're rejecting that. And Jesus, uh, you know, calls them out on that. He said that you've called me uh, a friend of sinners and tax collectors, a drunk and a glutton. And as if the story couldn't be any more perfectly set up. He then goes into the house of the religious leader, to the Pharisees. Now, we get this part of the story throughout it, but Jesus looks at him. Uh, what we get from the story is we know what they didn't do, right? When, I, when an honored guest came into your house, the servants were supposed to wash the person's feet. And Jesus obviously wasn't offered that. We don't know that up front, but we find that out at the end of the story. Well, what does it say in, in, the, in the Jewish scripture when you greet someone, right? To greet them with a holy kiss. And Jesus said, you didn't even greet me properly when I came in. I don't know anything about the olive oil on the head. I'm sure that was probably some sort of custom because Jesus brings it out and says, you didn't even follow this custom that you would normally do. But yet, Here's this other picture, right? So here's on one side the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who aren't honoring Jesus at all. And here's this woman who hasn't, who from the time she enters the story until the, the time that Jesus tells her to go, that her sins are forgiven, that her faith has made her spirit well, right? The entire time is just kissing Jesus' feet pouring perfume on them. Why? Because they were dirty and they were yucky. <laughs> they stunk, I'm sure. Walk around in sandals all day in the dirt and the muck and whatever else is out there. It's not a good scene, which is why the servants washed people's feet when they came in. But here's this woman. Since he didn't, what do we know about Jesus' feet? <laughs> they were disgusting, I am certain. Jesus even says, you didn't even give me anything to wash my feet. But here's this lady taking her hair. I can't even picture it. 
be quite honest with you, because I have none, but just washing his feet with her hair, kissing them, pouring this expensive perfume all over it. And all the Pharisees can think of is if Jesus knew who this woman was, if he were really was who he says he was, who he pretended he was, if he really knew that, then he would know who this lady was. So Jesus tells him a parable. Now here, I think, is one of the most interesting parts about this. The parable about the denarii and who, two people owed him. One owed him a lot and one owed him a little. And who would he love more? Or who would love him more if that debt was forgiven? And the Pharisees said, oh, I suppose the one who was forgiven more. That's right. And this is why she has and you, you aren't. What was the difference, though? Was the, was the gap between the Pharisees and God any wider than it was between this lady and God? And I would say no. The difference was this lady understood how much she had been forgiven. This lady understood the sickness in her heart, right? She understood the death that she had in the presence of perfection, right? If, you're, if you were this lamb, James read it this morning, and he, and he and I were talking about it beforehand, but John was talking about how he looked down and he wept and he was scared because God said, who can take this scroll from my hand? And there was nobody. And he wept, but then this lamb comes up and takes it from him, right? This woman understood she was so depraved that she wasn't righteous or holy or good, she would have been like John weeping because she couldn't take that scroll, right? And she understood that there was someone in her presence who could do that for her. The Pharisees had the exact same gap. They also couldn't take the scroll from the hand. But they had fooled themselves into thinking that maybe, maybe I can. I just got to follow the law a little bit more. I got to do a little bit more. Maybe I'm not quite there, but I'm getting there. I promise you, I'm getting there. My own will and my own way, I'm getting there. I'm following this thing. And they didn't understand. They had the exact same debt before God. And this woman understood it. And this Pharisee didn't. One of the places that I've been stuck at for probably like the last three months is here and this idea that sinners, people who weren't like Jesus, liked Jesus, right? The people who didn't, I mean, this woman was not like these tax collectors who were sinning and they didn't like the religious community to tell them how wrong they were. But they were drawn by Jesus. They liked Jesus, what an indictment on our religious institutions that we've taken Christianity and kind of created in, you know, wherever, all around the world. But, I mean, I know this one here in the U.S. very well. What an indictment it is on us if people look at the church, which is the embodiment of Christ here on earth. It is the bride of Christ that Christ is returning for if they don't like Jesus, right? If they see us who are supposed to be giving a picture of the kingdom of God 
and they don't like it. Is that an indictment on God or is it an indictment on us? Because if we look at the person and work of Jesus, they liked Jesus, right? Like the folks who were really against him, that was the religious community who said, you're kind of messing up our, our, our deal here. You're kind of going against what we want to do, going against what we've always thought, going against the religious structures that we've built over thousands of years. And hey, just a reminder, they were given by you. We can go back to Exodus and show you. We can go back to Leviticus and show you. You're the one who told us to do this. And here's the lamb who's able to take the scroll from the hand of God saying, you've put all this religious stuff ahead of me to the point where you can't even recognize me when you see me. Did they see the same fruit that John's disciples saw? Of course they did. Everybody did. Jesus, he said many, right? Did you, did you catch that when we were reading that earlier? He said, listen, here's, here's the deal, right? Go and tell him. Uh, go and report what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Those with leprosies were cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor. That, wasn't, that probably wasn't it then. It must have been earlier. But early, somewhere in there it said many Blind people receive sight. It wasn't just one or two, but it wouldn't matter if it was just one. That's amazing, right? And they're seeing the same thing, and they can't acknowledge that it's God. What did they start to put it on? Devil, right? That's why in other scriptures about Jesus, when they're talking, Jesus said, what kingdom divided against itself can, can even prosper, can even make it? Like, that doesn't make sense what you're supposing because it, it, that wouldn't work like that. The devil can't be against himself. They were trying to come up with any idea possible to explain away why Jesus was not the Messiah. Jesus is saying, you put this religious stuff so far ahead of me that you can't even recognize me. And that is my biggest fear as a believer, as a Christian, and also as one who's been called to pastor a church is, I want to be very aware. I pray that the Holy Spirit reveals to us places where this may be true so that we don't, or that we can very easily repent and say, God, we have put this ahead of you, and we need your forgiveness and your help to do better, right? Because it was a simple shift. I mean, what did, the, what did that Pharisee have to do right in that moment? He could have easily said, you're right. I'm sorry. Help me do better like the thief on the cross, right? Jesus would have said, yeah, you'll make it. That's the right response. What's not the right response was the arrogance and said, nope, this religious thing that we've created is more important than you. We have to see the Messiah come the way that we're expecting to see him or it can't be real. We need power, right? That's what they wanted. They wanted power. They wanted that Messiah to come with power. And in the church this morning, I can promise you, if our quest is for power, uh, we'll, we will never get Jesus. Uh, kind of existed, I mean, he passed away back in like in the 20th century, I think. Uh, his name was Leslie Newbigin. But I just want to read this um, quote that I just read, but I've read it a number of times, but as I was reading this, and preparing for this today, it really stood out more than anything. 
when the church tries to embody the rule of God in the forms of earthly power, it may very well achieve that power, but it is no longer a sign of the kingdom. And that was where the, the, these Pharisees struggled. They wanted that power. And Jesus said, the sign of the kingdom is actually going to look like this slain lamb. And we see in Revelation, in fact, I'm going to show you that. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to be slain in a way that was definitely not um, what they were expecting. And as a result, he conquered death. So, I say all that to say that God may be challenging places and spaces that we have always moved in because they've always been there. As long as we've been alive. They haven't been there through time and eternity, but maybe the last 50 years, maybe the last 70 years, maybe the last 80 years. And so for us, they have become the only reality we've known and we don't want to let go of them. And Jesus may be saying, it's time. He may not. I'm not saying that just because something's been around for a long time means it's got to change. We've been gathering as communities of believers for 2,000 years, worshiping God uh, and believing that Jesus was Messiah. That does not need to change. But sometimes there's religious things that we create and have done that maybe God's saying we need to change. We need to shift things up, and the Holy Spirit's giving us this opportunity. James brought it up. I did not quite think of it this way, but when all this started, we as a church were going through what does it look like to listen to and hear the voice of God and move in that, and then we have to shut down worshiping together for like three months. And even after that, it's really been weird, even the, the, the six months since then. And now we're back to just worshiping this way. And so God was giving us space, whether we saw it as such or not, to be able to just simply rely on his spirit. And we're still in that place. Uh, we as believers never move from that place. Just a lot of times we get so busy with everything else, we don't realize it. And so... My encouragement in, in that is to be willing to hear God if he's saying, hey, I want you to change. I want you to move. I want you to be different. But we're not going to do that just for that sake, right? Like we're not just going to change just for change's sake. God may be saying, I want you to keep doing this exactly the way you're doing it. What I do think is we need to be a place. The church, not Mosaic. I'm talking about the church globally needs to be a place where people look at that and say, yep, they're friends of sinners because they understand that they're in the same predicament. There's nothing that separates them. For a long time in my upbringing, the church was just a little bit higher than the sinners, and you wanted the sinners to come up here so they could get there too, and Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, Jesus called them when they were there, and he actually met them. He came down to earth and said, I am going to live with you, and we're going to kind of do this thing together. And people love that about him. People hated about the religious community. Oh, you have to get to this level. You have to fast so many days. You have to pray. You have to do all these different things that have been spoken of or you're not going to be accepted in. And Jesus was the exact opposite. He accepted them in and helped them get to that point. But change is hard and change is scary, which is where I've been wrestling with. And so over the last couple of weeks, I've just kind of been stuck right here. And then yesterday, if you get the little... 
if you happen to use the YouVersion Bible app, it was the verse of the day yesterday, and I thought, okay, I got it. Maybe it was just for me, but God's kind of kept me here. I've never really got off Joshua since we went into Joshua, and so I just want to remind you what God told Joshua as they were now shifting from what they had known for 40 years, right? All they had known for 40 years was this wilderness, and now it's changing. All they had known for 40 years was Moses being in charge, and now it's changing. Like the whole thing is being flipped on its head. And this guy Joshua, who hasn't been the leader, is now thrust into this leadership position. And this was God's message to him. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land that I swore your fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left so that you will have success in whatever you do. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it for whatever, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. God gave Joshua this instruction. First, he gave him a command, be strong and courageous. No matter what change is coming your way, be strong and courageous. Then he gives him another command. I want you to be strong and courageous. Now don't turn from the right or left of anything I've told you. You're serving Moses. This book of instruction, right? He only had a little bit. This book of instruction that I've given... By my Holy Spirit through Moses to you now, don't turn from it. Don't let it depart. Don't let it part, depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And then a final reminder Haven't I commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. God, we're thankful that you have called us to be your sons and daughters, that you've given us promises. God, may we not take all these promises and build institutions that supplant you. God, may you, may Jesus, may the Father, May the Holy Spirit be the thing that we always keep at the center of all it is that we do. Just as we began today, may you be at the center of it all. May our rules and regulations and may our traditions and histories never become more important than you. May we not seek power, earthly power, but God, may we always seek you above everything else. That's our prayer this morning, God, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.